Amen. Good morning. Good morning, Grace Place. Both of those of you who are alive here today and those of you who are watching us through live stream. And we are grateful that you're joining us today. Merry Christmas. We're right here uh, at the great uh, moment of the holy day of celebration of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be reading out of Isaiah chapter 9 uh, in a moment, chapter 9, verse 6. I do want to say, and they'll repeat this in the announcements at the end, I uh, encourage you to come if you uh, feel comfortable to do so. And uh, we are having a Christmas Eve service this year, yeah, candle lit and uh, celebration. So nothing kind of sets the tone quite so good for Christmas as coming together on Christmas Eve to celebrate, to worship, and uh, to, to bow down to our God and recognize what he has accomplished, the greatest gift ever given to us. And we'll talk about what Christmas means today, but we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to read that last line, that last sentence again, and have you read with me, uh, starting at his name was called, will be called. Let's read it together. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, turning a holy day into a secular kind of holiday is what the enemy has mastered. He's really got that down. He has been able to, in many instances in our society, sanitize Christ from Christmas. But it isn't the mastermind of secularists that have been at work here. The Bible tells us uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that there are spiritual forces that are working in our world. And we can see the harmonization of those things in globalist policies all around, but principalities, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, uh, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's difficult for us as human beings to disassociate uh, people from policies, procedures, and things that, are, that they do. And yet there are, there are these dark forces that are working behind the scenes. The cancel Christ culture started over 2,000 years ago. It's nothing new. And uh, more than 2,000 years ago, King Herod heard that uh, a child was going to be born and was destined to be king of the Jews. And so seeing this Christ as a threat to his own throne, he decided to protect his power uh, by ordering that the firstborn male be killed in every household of the Jewish people. And so then it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Christ started disappearing from Christmas centuries ago. Today, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the reason that we celebrate Christmas is an afterthought, if a thought at all, 
in most of our society. And here is the good news, though, in the midst of that challenge of the cancel Christ cultural movement that started over 2,000 years ago. And that is this, the message of Christmas may be challenged by our world, but the results of Christmas cannot be challenged. A child was born, a son was given. God came to dwell among mankind. And we, uh, we understand that that is the crux of what we celebrate as the truth of Christmas. Even the Grinch failed in his attempts to steal Christmas. You may remember his famous statement, it came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas means a little bit more. You see, the Christ of Christmas can't be stopped, not even for the Grinch. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. I want to talk to you about three things that define what the meaning of Christmas really is for each one of us personally. And first of all, we've talked about this throughout the year, and I want to recap the importance of what this means for us. Christmas gave us a Savior. Christmas gave us a Savior. And we would be remiss to talk about uh, a Savior if we didn't understand what we were saved from. It's important for us to understand what we were saved to, to the purposes of God, the things that God has in store. But lest we get all caught up in just looking at the beneficial sides of of the uh, proactive offensive that we have in the sense of being saved, that we are redefined in our meaning and our purpose for God and and all of the the wonders that are uh, in store for us, the blessings of God that come as a result of being saved, we must first recognize what God came to save us from. To a people who rejected God and became the very real property of hell, God sent his only son because he was not willing that one should perish. Hell is very real. And he came first on a rescue mission to rescue us from hell. Something that God never created for his imago Dei, those that were created in his image. And yet, because of our uh, pridefulness, because of our sinful nature that we cloaked ourselves in, through the, through the failures to obey God and to follow Him and surrender our life to His Lordship over our lives, through the idols that we raised up and gave power and authority in our lives, we became the very real property of hell. And so Jesus first came on a rescue mission. Hell is real. It's eternal. God is not willing that any should spend a moment of eternity in hell. And so only one life could rescue us from being the property of hell. But the second part of that Jesus came to save us is that he came on a redemptive mission. It was a redemptive mission not only to pay the cost for our sin, but to repurpose all of the brokenness that sin brings. Everything on our planet, all human beings are broken. And we fail to even see how broken we are. 
And on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, after we have received Jesus and made him the Lord and leader of our life, there is this ongoing work of, of salvation that we refer to as sanctification, that ongoing work of God's grace, mercy, redemptive uh, properties that are taking place inside of us that are moment by moment, day by day, month by month, year by year, making us less like our sinful nature and more like Jesus. He is repurposing us. Think about it for a moment. All of the things that have been broken in our lives that are, are being restored back to us. All that God is repurposing in our lives. Give just a moment's thought to the many things that were broken through the sin uh, nature that we cloaked ourselves in. And just to redefine again and remind us uh, what we talked about this year in the nature of sin, we get caught up in sin are things that I do or things that I don't do that I should have done. And uh, it is a wrong way for us to look at sin. Sin is a nature, and it's the one that, that God wants to destroy and tear down, and it's something that has to be destroyed on a daily basis. It creeps in and seeks to take over everything of us. We talked last year about the story of Cain and Abel, the very first murder, a brother killing his brother. And God warns him and says, sin is crouching at your door. And gives him that warning. And, it's, and what's frightening about the whole story is that even with God telling us and warning us, we will cloak ourselves in that nature when it is convenient. But look at all the things that we lost through cloaking ourselves in that sinful nature. The ability to receive and give God's love to others. We became very selfish and self-centered and life became about us. There are no times like the times that we live in right now where we see all around us the, the, uh, the, the desire for self-preservation above uh, the desire to, to be able to uh, fulfill God's purposes and missions through our life. Whenever there's crisis, whenever there's challenges that rise up, we show both the best and the worst of ourselves. We are revealed and we are exposed because it's like a sponge that, that is filled with water. You don't know that that sponge is full of water just gazing at it, looking at it from a distance. But if you go up and squeeze it, everything that's inside that sponge comes out. And when we go through adversity and challenges and difficulties, we get squeezed and everything that's inside comes out. And so we both, we, we can see that, that we, we lost through sin the ability to, to give God's love and to, to love others with God's love, to receive God's love for our own lives. The second is the very real meaning and purpose of your life is, is what God is restoring when he, when he comes to do the redemptive work. We, we lost a sight of what we were really created to be and to do. And, and so being restored in the sense of our meaning, our purpose, why are we here? Not just, just why are we here on planet Earth, but why are we here today? Why are we here in these relationships? Why are we here in this community? Why are we here right now where, is, where God has us and, and has placed us? And it, it begins to take on new meaning when we get reconnected with God, divine understanding. He's restoring hope. He's restoring joy. He's restoring wisdom. We talked about that last week when uh, we talked about Job and, and, and how he understood, had a sense of God's wisdom and understanding through relationship with God. 
The world has a, a wisdom, and it, and it really, uh, when, when it, we get it in light with God's wisdom, it really doesn't make sense. It's, it's counter to what God wants and His purposes for our life, and we lose real wisdom. And we start functioning, you know, in, in echo chambers and, th- in own, uh, you know, in our own minds, what seems right, we do. And God speaks into our lives through the restoration, redemptive process, true wisdom. We came as we were in, in our sinful nature to God, guilty. We came ashamed. We came filled with addictive behaviors. We came unfaithful. We came selfish to Him. We came ugly on the inside to the very core of our beings because of sin. Blacks, hearts, all of us uh, in, in, in the presence of a holy and just God. And yet God sent His perfect sinless Son to pay for our sins. The four words of the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that speak to this work that God's doing, God and sinner reconciled. God and sinner reconciled. So first of all, Christmas gave us a Savior. One that came on a rescue mission, one who came on a redemptive mission for us. Christmas gave us an eternal family, a family that lasts forever. He gave us the body of Christ, and it, the body of Christ is so important. People misunderstand when they use the term church. We kind of use it loosely, and we, we refer to it in thinking about this gathering or this little building and, and, the, and the whoever would, would show up, and this is a church meeting we think about. But when we talk about church, we're talking about the body of Christ. He's the head and we're the body. We became members of God's family. We became members of one another's family. We became eternal family as a result of what Christ came to do and what he came to accomplish on Christmas. It, it happened for each and every one of us. And it, is, it happens that, you know, we are family now uh, as, for eternity We love each other, we care about each other, and we're going to live with each other for eternity. So if you're having a problem with one another, you better learn how to get along. Because eternity is a long time to hold a grudge. (laughs) One day I'm going to go to my eternal home for Christmas, for one uh, great Christmas. uh, The first Christmas in the presence of the King of Kings. And I'm going to leave behind loved ones. It is going to be difficult to imagine what that first Christmas in my eternal home is going to be like, but it's going to be filled up with my eternal family, and others will be coming on a day-by-day, year-by-year, moment-by-moment time until Jesus brings us all home for eternity. We spend much of our time in life asking the question, where do I want to live? Do I want to live by the beach? Do I want to live uh, up in the mountains? Uh, you know, do I want to live by the big city? Do I want to live in the suburbs? We, we ask that question a lot. As you get older, you get to where I'm at in life, you start asking, where do I want to die? Where is it that I want life to finish and, and things to be done? And the answer to that question for all of us is going to be, I want to be, where, wherever I'm going to die, I want to be surrounded by people who love me. Yeah. People who care about me, family. 
One of the great joys about being a part of the family of God is that has always been the case. It doesn't matter uh, whether we were in Arizona pastoring, we were in Las Vegas, uh, or we're here in Texas. Yeah, the constant is that I can answer the question, you know, where do I want to die? I want to be around my family, right? <laughs> His family's global. Uh, this family is the body of Christ. And I want to be near family who deeply loves and cares about Jesus and cares about me and that we have a relationship with uh, and will have a relationship with for all eternity. The third thing that Christmas is about, Christmas is, is gave us intimacy with God. We don't esteem that as highly, I think, as, as we ought to think about it. All other gods are man-crafted and demonically inspired. And not one of them is interested in you personally. Christmas revealed to mankind the one true God who loves you individually, who cares about you personally, who created you in his image. No angel was sent to convey the gospel message. God came in, the, in flesh to dwell among us. The recipient of the message was too important for God to leave the job to just a messenger. Think about it for a moment. Picture God looking across the vastness of heaven at the created beings that to us would be so majestic looking. And we might have thought just to see one of these celestial beings would, would be enough for us to, to believe that God is and that that entity could have carried the message, the gospel message to us. Think about the descriptions in the Bible. There are uh, these angelic beings, these creative beings of God are referred to 196 times, 103 times in the Old Testament, 93 times in the New Testament. Listen to just one of the descriptions of, of these angels that are called seraphs. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, just a couple of passages about him. Seraph stood over him, over God. Each one had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And they used the remaining two to fly. Another passage about seraphs is found in Revelations. And it reads that, uh, referencing them, it says, All full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who, uh, who was and who is and who is to come. No matter how amazing these creatures may seem to us, and maybe no matter how awe-inspiring that they might have been to us, none would would fit to carry the message of love that God wanted to bring to you and I personally. And so he wrapped this message up in his son. And he personally delivered this message to each one of us. It's why the song says, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. The world works so hard to speak of magic of Christmas by putting something other than Christ into the manger. 
They attempt to, through commercialization and other avenues, to tell us that in the manger uh, for Christmas is family time. Gifts are what Christmas is all about. Traditions are what Christmas is all about. Christmas music is what Christmas is all about. Decorations and celebrations are what Christmas is all about. Hallmark movies is what Christmas is all about. We've laughed off, and there's really only three stories, isn't there, in, in those Hallmark movies? You know, it's, uh, and, and Lawrence uh, was telling us uh, for his family, he put together a little um, kind of a trivia game that they will play as they watch these movies, and you check the box off, you know. Is uh, the love interest really Santa? Or, you know, did it snow when they kissed? Or, you know, and uh, there's, there's, there's the love triangle story, right? There's the real princess or prince story. And uh, then there is the real Santa, you know, story. So uh, he, the, out of all three of those, they play those off, and we see them over and over and over again. And they do such creative work to try to leave out what the real true meaning Christmas is. How can you say Christmas without Christ? But you cannot. Can you have Christmas without Christ? The gifts fade. The music will cease. The romantic stories turn into real life struggles. Family dinners can expose family heartaches. Long after the decorations are taken down, the manger remains, and the gift of God that he gave is available to heal broken hearts and souls. You see, the central truth of Christmas story is this. The child of Christmas is God. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. There's a a very real global darkness that has moved across our world. It's been going on for decades. That any uh, one is clearly able to see. You can't get three people in the room to agree on any one thing. And yet, globally, nations are coming into agreement about policies and procedures and functions for mankind. How does this happen? Spiritual wickedness behind the scenes. Dark forces that are at work, that are moving, manipulating, encouraging, and uniting forces against what God wants to accomplish. Leaders and influencers are marching in lockstep to what principalities and rulers of darkness of this world are commanding. It's no accident. These policies and procedures are being put into place. They match globally, almost word for word, deed for deed. It has been that way in the past. This canceled Jesus culture has been going on for more than 2,000 years. But while the world may argue about the meaning of Christmas, they can never argue about the results. God gave a child. 
a son, and the government is upon his shoulders. He gets the final word. He's the one who is the author, the beginning of all things, and the finisher of all things. And here's what I want for you for Christmas and what I believe God wants for you for Christmas. Is that you may know him personally. Last week we, we emphasized this in our Marion Bright series, looking at Job. The life of Job. Think about Job living at a time. Your library can be filled with books about the Bible. It can be filled with the Bible first. And it can be filled with books about the Bible, commentaries and, and things that great minds have, have uh, derived about uh, Christianity down through the ages, historical records that we have, mountains and mountains of evidence of what happened, uh, that Jesus actually was, that he, that he died for us, that he rose again and was resurrected. Mountains of evidence. You can have all of that in your library, but at a time when there was none of that, Job had a relationship that was incredible. He had a relationship with God where he was able to say, I know where my Redeemer lives, and he's going to stand on the earth. And I pointed out last week that the reason that Job... Uh, while still working out his theology uh, on certain things with his, with his friends gathered around him as they're talking through uh, what they have come to understand and know about God. Job was certain about certain things, and he was certain that God was his redeemer. He was certain that God was his savior, that God was going to see him through, that he was going to prevail in the end. And that certainty did not come from his intellectual understanding alone about God. That certainty came from knowing God personally, having a very personal relationship with God. And you can have that too. And that's what God, I think, wants for us. He wants you to know him as wonderful, as counselor, as mighty God, as everlasting father, as prince of peace, that you may serve him with all of your heart. I invite our worship team to come back. And near you uh, in the row, and there's some on every uh, other seat around you, so please take a moment and grab that which represents the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to receive communion together. He wants you to know him in a very personal way with all your heart that you may rise to meet him and be ready to live with him forever. He came as your savior, as your redeemer. He came that you might have this intimate relationship with him. He came so that we could have eternal family and that we might be united together. Let's stand together, we'll sing this worship song, and then we'll come back and receive communion together. <laughs>